And now we take you to Evangel Assembly of God in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. We're in a series called Taking the Limits Off God. It's based on Psalm 78, verse 41, which says that the children of Israel limited God time and time again. And today we're in Joshua chapter 5, and I want to talk to you about the truth that you are not alone. You are not alone. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or are you for our adversaries? So he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped. And he said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Last weekend, we were away because our niece got married last Saturday night up in the Smoky Mountains in northern Georgia. And so last Saturday morning, I got up, and Paul and uh, two of my other son-in-laws and several of my nephews said, why don't you come with us? We have found a waterfall, and we're going to hike down to it. Now, we were, we were I don't know, we were 3,000-foot elevation or so, and it was 400 feet down to the waterfall and a bunch of switchbacks. So we got on the trail and started walking down. And one of my nephews had brought, he had a, he's a really good daddy because he had a 14-month-old little baby boy in a snuggly, and he had a three-and-a-half-year-old who was trying to hold his hand. And so you can imagine, we started, the trail started off, pretty comfortable but then it got steeper and steeper and there were a lot of roots and a lot of rocks to get over and it was getting slippery and water was going over the trail and the three and a half year old was having some difficulty so he became my responsibility so I'm now walking down the trail with the three and a half year old and then I had to pick him up for, for much of the journey down and I noticed everybody else got ahead of us well, I was breathing hard and I'm going downhill and I'm thinking, what's wrong with me? Because I do, I, I do three and a half miles on the elliptical on a regular basis. In fact, I did it yesterday and I do great. But here I, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting short of breath and I'm feeling dizzy and lightheaded. And we get down to the waterfall. It was absolutely beautiful. However, I couldn't enjoy the beauty because I was feeling so bad. And I sat down on a rock. I gave the three-and-a-half-year-old to somebody else. I sat down on a rock, and for about 15 minutes, everybody's enjoying the the waterfall, having a good time there. And and the temperature's down to about 62 degrees down by the waterfall. But, man, I am perspiring, and I think, well, something's wrong with me. My heart just keeps on beating. And these thoughts came to me. You're going to have a heart attack. You're going to have a stroke. And as big as you are, they're not going to be able to get you back up the mountain. And I sat there and, you know, and these thoughts just kind of bombard you. And suddenly I, I realized, hey, I don't need to be thinking about this. I need to, to be thinking about the healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to be thinking about the goodness of the Lord. And immediately, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 came to my mind, which says, Cast all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. 
And I, I thought of 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, which says, Though we walk in the flesh, we don't do warfare according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, taking every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. A stronghold is a thought that holds you strongly. A stronghold is a thought that holds you strongly that's contrary to the will of God and contrary to the Word of God, and you and I don't have to put up with every thought that comes to your mind. Because, dear ones, there will be a battlefield, and often that battlefield is between your ears, and you'll have all kinds of thoughts, sometimes ungodly thoughts, and you don't have to entertain those things. You can literally take authority over them. You can cast them down in Jesus' name. If you ever have, let me tell you, if you ever have a a pornographic thought, you don't have to let that thing stay between your your ears. You can take it and you can cast it down in the name of Jesus. So here I am, I'm saying, you know what? I'm not going to have a heart attack. I'm not going to have a stroke. I'm not going to have difficulty getting back up the uh, up the mountain. I'm going to make my way. And I started thinking about how much God loves me. I started thinking about Romans 8, which says nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I said, Lord, I thank you that you love you, me, you accept me, you've forgiven me, and I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. So by now, our group is headed back up the trail. Others are coming down it. We're headed back up the trail. I got, got a little over a mile to go. And that first part is the steepest part. You know, it's the slippery part. I gave the three-and-a-half-year-old to somebody else. I'm on my own now. And I'm saying, I'm thank you, Lord. I'm going to do well. And you know what? I just kept putting one foot ahead of the other, and my heart was beating hard. I still felt lightheaded, but I just kept on going. And about halfway up, do you know all those younger people, Dr. Paul Hill and my son-in-laws and my nephews, they all stopped for rest. Guess what? I didn't stop. I just kept right on going. Because I thought if I stopped, I'm, I'm, I'm done, you know. You know what I mean? And so I just kept right on going. And I just think, Lord, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that if God be for me, who can be against me? I thank you that you're the glory and you're the lifter of my head. I thank you that you're meeting every need according to your riches and glory. I thank you, Lord, that you're at work on my behalf to willing to do of your good pleasure. And I just kept on walking. And I just kept on walking. And do you know that I got up to the head of the trail, up up close to the parking lot? I found a picnic table. I sat on it. I sat for 10 minutes and waited for those young people to get on up there amen hallelujah glory to god i remember a a sunday morning several years back there was somebody that was sitting over in this section of church and they came up to me after service was over and they said pastor i'm so upset i said why are you upset they said pastor there were some people sitting close by and they were talking and laughing all the time you were preaching. And I really needed to hear that message that you brought because I've had been going through a difficult time. And, and Pastor, I'm just so upset. I don't know what to do. I said, well, why didn't you move? There's, a, there's another seat, I'm sure. They didn't have a very good answer. About 30 minutes later, at the close of Kathy and I were getting ready to leave and a dear lady had stayed behind just to talk to us. And I looked at her and I realized I hadn't seen her in a couple of weeks because she had lost her husband. Hadn't seen her. She hadn't been in service. I said, good to see you. How are you? She says, well, it's difficult. She says, I'm having to learn how to live without my husband. But you know, God is good. And God is faithful. 
And I've learned that he, he doesn't leave me or forsake me. And I've learned that he will strengthen me if I'll accept his help. And, and, and God is just so good. And I've just been reflecting on the goodness of God. And Kathy and I drove home that day and we said, my, 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 my. Look at the difference in those two attitudes. Here's one person that's having a bad day because somebody around them was talking. And here's somebody else that's lost their spouse. Yet they're putting their faith in God and they're going forward. Hallelujah. Dear ones, here's the point, And I share some of this Wednesday night. Sometimes we magnify things that really aren't problems. Come on. Sometimes we take a molehill and we focus on it so much, we magnify it until it becomes a great big mountain. It becomes a, a big deal. I, I, got a, I got a pair of binoculars here that, uh, that Billy Stone gave me. Billy, are you here today? I can't see you. <laughs> Guys, when, when I look at you through these binoculars, in fact, I see Pat, I see you real good right now. You are big. You are really big. But you know what? I can turn the same binoculars around and I can look through this end. Pat, you're so small, I can't hardly see. I can see that whole section. Everybody's seated right there. It's the same pair of binoculars, but it depends on which end of the binoculars that you're using. And I'm telling you this morning, you can either glorify God, you can put the spotlight on God, you can put the spotlight on the goodness of God and the promises of God, or you can put the spotlights on your heartache, you can put the spotlights on your difficulty. Come on. Here's our problem. Most of us are, we're experts at magnifying our problems. Come on. So, some of us, we're just, we're just experts at, 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 at turning little things into big things. My wife, I asked her the other day if she had any toothpicks. She said, yes, I do. I've got a toothpick right here. In fact, Brother Derek, can you do it, get a close-up on this toothpick on the camera that would be up behind me? I just, I just want everybody to see it. You, you, say, say, say he's got it. Okay, so you just, everybody see the toothpick? It's not very big. I'll tell you what happens. This toothpick represents a problem in our life. This toothpick represents a heartache. It represents something that creates anxiety in you and me. And, and here's what's happened. We go through life. Wrong end. We go through life and we start looking and magnifying that problem. And we talk about it. And we think about it. And we, we nurse it and rehearse it. And we curse it. And, and you know what? Before long, that little problem, this little toothpick, is completely dominating what we're thinking about. And if you keep doing that, it won't be long. This toothpick will be as big as a baseball bat. And suddenly, what was a toothpick-sized problem, because you've talked about it, because you've complained about it, because you groused about it, because you murmured about it. See, this is what kept the children of Israel from taking the promised land. Forty years earlier, Joshua and his generation are going to take it. But forty years earlier, they did not enter in because they said there are walled cities and there are giants and we're no match for them. We're like grasshoppers. And they kept talking about it and they kept thinking about it and it got to be a great big thing. Now, dear ones, if you think about about your problems until your toothpick becomes a baseball bat the devil's going to take that bat and he's going to knock your brains in 
Amen? Hallelujah. Now what we need to do is we need to look at this through the, through the wrong end. Guess how small that looks now? Tiny. Thank you, Brother John. And just destroy that, that toothpick too, because that's no problem either. Amen? Hallelujah. What's the problem? You and I are the ones that magnify things. Sometimes you can be your own worst enemy. I remember when I was a young pastor, a man came to me one day and he said, Pastor, I can't sleep at night. He said, he said, uh, life has just gotten difficult and, and I can't sleep and I'm miserable and I'm depressed. I said, well, what's the, what's the root issue? What are the, what do you think's underneath all this? He said, here's the root issue, Pastor. He says, I've got less than $3,000 in my bank account. First time in my life I've had less than $3,000. And I looked at him. And I'm thinking, I wish I had $3,000 in my checking account right now. But for him, it was a real deal. See, he had focused, he was focusing on his dwindling checking account. He was focused on the fact that his cash flow was disappearing. Well, what he needed to do, and I tried to help him, I said, you need to focus on Psalms 37, 25, where David said, I've been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. You need to focus on the fact that we serve the God who's the God of all grace, who's able to make all grace abound towards you, that you might have an abundance for every good work. You need to focus on the fact that our God, I asked him, do you tithe? Do you give offerings to the Lord? He said, yes. I said, you need to focus on the fact that Malachi says that he will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Glory to God. Don't be focusing on the fact that you got less than $3,000 in the bank. You're better off than 80% of the world. Focus on the fact that God is good and he's good all the time. He's going to take care of you. He's going to supply all your need. According to his riches and glory. Amen? Amen. See, one of the things, one of the things that made David a man after God's own heart is, is, is the fact that David learned to magnify God in the presence of problems. See, David, he looked at Goliath and he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine. David magnified the fact, and by circumcision, I'm I'm not really thinking about the physical circumcision as much as the fact is that it represented a covenant relationship with God in the Old Testament. David focused on his covenant relationship with God. Yeah, there's a giant out there. Yes, there are problems. But who is that uncircumcised Philistine? In other words, I have a relationship with God. This man does not have a covenant with God. He may be boasting. He may be cursing. He may be saying, send me a man to fight with him. But who does he think he is? The people that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And so David steps out on the battlefield, takes five smooth stones, Puts one in a sling, lets it go, and it goes right to the one place the man was vulnerable. The man falls down. David takes off his head. Hallelujah. See, David chose, and every one of us have got the power to choose. You can choose. Am I going to focus and magnify the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the promises of God and the calling of God on my life? Or am I going to focus on the difficulties, the problems, the giants, all the things that can make somebody complain? And the choice is yours. See, turn over to Psalms 34 with me, and we'll get back to Joshua. Turn over to Psalms 34, because King David tried to kill David again and again and again. 
And so one day David said, I'm going to go over to the Philistines, to King Abimelech, and see if he will give me some safety. And Abimelech was, well, actually, he liked David. He thought David was a pretty great guy to have around. He made him his, 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 his armor bearer. But then some of the lords of the Philistines, some of the princes of the Philistines said, this is the David that the women used to sing about. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. You need to kill him. And Abimelech, and Abimelech was actually thinking about killing David. And David acted like he was crazy. You remember? The Bible says he acted like he was mad. He let the spittle run out on his beard. And he clawed the walls. And Abimelech's got one of the greatest lines in the Bible. He says, don't don't I have enough madman that you brought another one into my midst? So David escapes from his presence. And that's when we believe he wrote Psalms 34. Look at this with me. He says, I will bless the Lord sometimes. He said, all times. See, he had some problems. Saul wanted to kill him. Abimelech wanted to kill him. But he says, I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul, my mind, my will, my emotion shall make his boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, watch this. Magnify the Lord with me. That word magnify means to enlarge. That word magnify means to glorify. He says, take the binoculars. He says, put it on the promises of God. Put it on the glory of God. Put it on the grace of God. And magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. I sought the Lord. See, dear ones, sometimes we get in trouble because we don't know what it really means to seek the Lord. Some of us just murmur about our problems and think we're seeking the Lord. Some of us just tell God about everything that's not, Oh God, I need this and I need that and this happened and that happened and Oh God. And we think we're, you're not seeking the Lord. You're casting your cares on Him at that point. But you gotta get to the place that you seek the Lord. How did David seek the Lord? He said, I'm gonna bless the Lord at all times. Hallelujah. That's how you seek the Lord. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. And I love this next phrase because it says, The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. A humble person is somebody that trusts the Lord. Come on, a humble, meek person. Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. A humble and meek person is not Casper Milktoast, who's down at Alligator Point getting sand kicked in his face. He's not a 99-pound weakling that everybody picks on. A humble person is somebody who completely and fully trusts in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He says the humble are going to hear about it, and they're going to be glad. He says, oh, magnify. Come on. Oh, magnify. Come on. Oh, take your binoculars out and magnify. Make big the presence of God. Make big the anointing. Make big the promises of God. Oh, magnify the Lord of me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all of my fears. Some of you need deliverance from your fears this morning. 
Some of you have been turned every which way but loose. But I'm telling you in Jesus' name, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and a sound mind. And you need to say with your own mouth and let your own ears hear what your mouth is saying. Say in Jesus' name, you foul spirit of fear, get out of my life. Come on. Let's say it together. You foul spirit of fear, get out of my life. Try it again. You foul spirit of fear, get out of my life. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I want you to think about this. The same part of you that worries is the same part of you that meditates on God's promises and that magnifies the Lord. I'll say it again. The same part of you that worries. Remember this. A raisin used to be a a pretty grape, but started worrying. (laughs) The same part of you that worries is the same part of you that meditates on God's word and magnifies the Lord. Worry is meditating on the wrong things. Say it again. Worry is meditating on the wrong things. How many of you have ever gone to work and maybe you were had some anxiety and worry deep down inside you about your family or about your finances, about your future, about your health? Come on, just, just be honest. Yeah, I went to work. Did that worry keep you from doing your job? No, you were able to do your job. You were able to study. You were able to do what you needed to do. But that free-floating anxiety was still down inside you. Well, dear ones, I'm just suggesting to you that you can go through life and you can worry about your life. You can worry about everything that's going on or you can go through life and you can magnify the Lord. You can take you the binoculars of faith and you can make the word of God big. You can make the, there are 7,000 promises in the word of God. You can make those 7,000 promises of the word of God big in your life. You can meditate on them. Oh folks, I'm going to tell you there are times I just, I just meditate on how much God loves me. How much God has accepted me and forgiven me. I I, I just meditate on the fact that I'm a trophy of grace. That I deserve eternity and and death. I deserve hellfire. But God had mercy on me. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. But if you're more interested. If you're more interested in who's winning the Super Bowl. If you're more interested in who's winning the World Series or the NBA championship, if you're more interested in the latest terrorist activity at London Bridge yesterday, if you're more interested, and I love Florida State. I used to sell peanuts at their football games as a kid. Man, I I love the Seminoles. But if you're more interested into whether or not they're going to win a national championship or beat Alabama the first of the fall. If you're more interested in that than you are in magnifying the things of God, let me tell you, you're opening up your heart, you're opening up your soul to live a life 
of worry because worry and anxiety will creep in. And Jesus said, you can go back and read it in Matthew 5 and Matthew 6. He says, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. You can't add to your, to your life. You can't make yourself any taller. You can't do yourself any good. Do not worry. I'm going to tell you the antidote to worrying is you'll start meditating on the promises in God's Word. Start magnifying the promises in God's Word. Amen? Okay, now let's get back to Joshua. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho. It was the night before the battle was to take place. It was the night for 40 years Israel has wandered around in the desert. Finally, they crossed the Jordan River. Finally, they're on the plains of Jericho. Finally, it's time for the battle. And I'm sure Joshua went off to be by himself. Perhaps he spent some time in prayer. Maybe he was meditating about his battle strategy. And I suspect that Joshua felt a lot of emotions. Number one, I think he felt excited. He said, hey, it's finally here. This is a new day. We're not going to limit God anymore. We're going to take everything and have everything God's promised. But number two, he might have wrestled with an anxiety and fear. You remember three times in Joshua chapter 1, God said, Joshua, be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I'm not, I'm not saying that when you start magnifying the Lord that you won't have to, to fight worry or anxiety anymore. I'm just saying you'll start getting some victories in your life. And the more victories you get, the stronger you get, the less you're going to worry. And the stronger you get, you will look at problems and you'll just laugh at them because you'll know, hey, I remember when God took me through this. And I remember when God met my need this time. And I remember when God healed me. And God has never let me down. And you'll be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Amen? Amen? Perhaps Joshua felt the burden of leadership. You know, he knew that When they attacked Jericho, hey, they're sending a signal. There were seven kings, seven kingdoms in the promised land that they had to take. And they were sending a signal, hey, the war is on. And this thing's not going to be won in just a few months. It's going to take years and years and years. And I'm sure he felt his need for God. Because he knew that when there's war, there are casualties. And when there are casualties, somebody's got to go see a mama or a daddy or a wife and children and say, Your son fought valiantly, but he didn't make it. Your husband was a true warrior, but he didn't make it. And he didn't want it be because of his foolishness or because he made wrong decisions. So I believe he's praying here and he's, he's, he's asking God for help. Psalms 13, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho. He's meditating. It's in the evening before the battle starts. That he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And I love this answer, verse 14. So he said, No, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. 
And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worships and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Folks, this was a revelation for Joshua. He's praying. He's meditating. He's thinking about what lay before them as they're getting ready to take the promised land. He looks up. He sees a man who looks like a warrior. He says, Are you for us or for our enemies? He said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Joshua looked up and he saw God. He looked up. He saw Jesus. He he looked up, he saw the Holy Spirit. Theologians call this a theophany. When God himself appears in human form, he says, I'm here as the commander of the army of the Lord. Everybody say commander of the army of the Lord. It's important that we realize, hey, Joshua had his army. He had 600,000 warriors. But God says, I'm here not as the commander of your army. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. I've got an angelic army, and we're ready to fight for you. I think this was a revelation for him. Dear ones, I want you to know, Joshua suddenly started realizing, hey, I'm not alone in this thing. It's not just up to me. We've got a heavenly army with us. Here's the point I want to make. You're not alone. I said you're not alone. Those that be with you are more than those that be with them. Hallelujah. Angels are ministering spirits to those of us that are heirs of salvation. It says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14. Angels will lift us up in their hands lest we dash our foot against a stone. You can't see them, but I believe that this room is filled with angelic beings right now. I believe that when you get in your car, your car is going to have some angelic beings with you. I believe that when you get to your home or your apartment, wherever you live, I believe there are angels of God right there with you. I believe that those that be with us are more than those that be with them. Amen? Second Kings chapter 6. Let's quickly look at this portion of Scripture. Second Kings chapter 6. The army of Syria has, has surrounded the, the, the village of Dothan where Elisha was. And it says in verse 15, it says, And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That's, that's for somebody here today. You're to know those that are with you. If you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, those that are with you are more than those that are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God wants you to know that those who are with you are more than those that are with them. There are chariots of fire all around you right this minute. God is going to take care of you. Billy Graham tells a story about some missionaries that moved to the New Hebrides Islands, which is in the South Pacific. And they built a missions compound. And they started sharing the gospel with, with, with the indigenous people there. Well, some of the people did not like it. They were threatened that they were bringing this new, new God and a new religion. This thing called the worship of Jesus Christ in Christianity. And so one of the chieftains, he sent many of his warriors out. And he, with these, these orders, he says, I want you to burn their house. And I want you to kill them and bring their bodies back to me. The family was going to bed one evening and they saw these warriors, these native warriors outside. 
And they had their war paint on and they realized that they didn't have good intentions. The family didn't know what to do. And so they got on their knees and they prayed all night long. As the sun was coming up, they looked out and they could see the backs of these warriors as they were departing. Several years went by and the chief himself ended up giving his heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they asked him, they said, why did your, why did your warriors leave that day? And the chief says, oh, I'm surprised that you asked me. Didn't you see the hundreds of men who were in shining garments, who had drawn swords, who had actually circled around your house? We were getting ready to start throwing, throwing, throwing fire at your house to start burning things. But then those warriors were standing and they were big warriors and we were afraid of them. Dear ones, I'm just telling you, sometimes we can't see the angels of God, but I want some of you, 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 you wouldn't be here today if it weren't for the angels. Some of you would have been in traffic accidents. Some of you would have lost your lives. Some of you, yeah, the, the angels of God have, have, have brought divine protection into your life. Hallelujah. What did God want Joshua to know? He said, Joshua, I want you to know there's angelic protection. But Joshua, you're in the presence of the king. Take off your shoes, boy. This is holy ground. So many years earlier, and I'm going to close with this. Glenn, you can come onto the keyboard if you will. So many years earlier, a man named Moses was in the desert. And God said, Moses, I want you to take off your shoes. The place you're standing is holy. Dear ones, on this Pentecost Sunday, God is still baptizing in the Holy Ghost. On this Pentecost Sunday, there's still a thing called the Holy Ghost and fire. God says, Joshua, you don't have to be afraid. The army of the Lord is going to be, going to be fighting along with you. And number two, Joshua is my presence that makes the difference. Oh, we need, the church today needs a new revelation of the presence of the King. I told my dad the other day that I'm not praying anymore because I try to spend at least an hour a day reading my Bible and praying. I'm not praying anymore. And this happened, it started when, back on March the 20th, when mom fell and broke her ribs and was in Tallahassee Memorial Hospital and then in Woodmont and then in hospice now she's with Jesus but my prayer times suddenly had a new depth to them my time in God's presence became even more precious you know sometimes you can just go through the motions sometimes you can try to be dutiful you try to be dutiful because life is brutal right Difficult and beautiful all at once. But you try to be dutiful. And don't, don't, don't stop being dutiful. Don't stop spending that time with the Lord. But I'm telling you, we can press in. We can press in. And God's presence. I've just been enjoying a new depth. Last Thursday morning, Kathy and I packed and left here about, I don't know, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 
and we're making our way up to the vicinity of Helen, Georgia. We had prayed that morning before we left. But I started praying about the time we, just before we got to Thomasville. I, just, I was just praying. I was just worshiping Jesus. I was just magnifying the Lord. I wasn't praying for anything. I just wanted to be in His presence. And I want you to know the glory of God came down and filled our car. And I began to weep and weep, and I couldn't stop weeping. And I cried, and I prayed, and I worshiped God. We left Thomasville. Next thing I knew, we'd gotten all the way up to Albany. And I'm still crying. And Kathy's saying, Terrell, do you want me to drive now? I'm just telling you that the power of God is real. And the presence of the Holy Spirit makes all the difference in the world. And so many times we try this in life and we try that and we're over here doing this and we're over here doing that. When what we really need is we need His presence. In His presence there's fullness of joy. And at the Father's right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Nobody moving, nobody talking. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here today and you say, I, I need to call on the name of the Lord. I want to get my heart right with God. I realize that I realize that I need Jesus Christ and I need his shed blood in my life like never before. With every head bowed, every eye closed, you'd say, Terrell, I really need Jesus today. Just put your hand up and leave it up until I recognize it. The stillness of this moment. Thank you, sir. Would you just look me in the eye and see your hand? Would you just look me in the eye? Just by looking at me, we're saying yes. Amen. Amen. Come into agreement with anybody else. Yeah, I need the Lord Jesus Christ today. I need the Lord Jesus Christ today. Just slip your hand up and leave it up until I see it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We're standing on holy ground today, saints. This is holy ground. Anybody else? We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.